recording, so whenever you want, go ahead. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of You Can't Be Serious. This time uh, in visual format as well. Um, I'm your host, uh, Matt Torrey. I'm joined with uh, just one of my co-hosts today, Josh Tracy. Say hi. Hey, everybody. Um, so, uh, yeah, we thought we would, uh, give this a try. We thought we'd, uh, you know, we thought it had been long enough. We've kept our, uh, physical identity secret enough from you, uh, for long enough. We thought we would, uh, um, give this a shot. So let us know what you think of the new format. We, uh, given this a try, you know, if, uh, if, if you don't like the way we look, you could tell us like, you know, Hey, those videos suck. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll stop doing it. So, um, I mean, to be to be fair, though, it's only we're only this is episode 29, I believe, of this show. Um, the first video version format of the sports podcast that I've been doing uh, came about in episode 217 or so. So we're we're a lot we're a lot uh, quicker out the gate on being up to date in our formats on this show than than I am on the other one. Beat this by about 200 hey, from- episodes. Learning from uh, past experiences. That's that's what we're all about here. Yeah. Um, but so so Josh, I um, uh, I thought we'd start out. I I recommended a movie to you last week or whatever. Um, it's usually the other way around. You're usually the one recommending me movies, which is why I was super excited about having a movie that you hadn't seen to recommend to you. Um, but so the title of the movie um is Three Identical Strangers. Um. And so, spoiler alert for any of the any of you who have not listened to this or not not seen this movie yet. Um, it's uh, it's about three identical strangers or three identical uh, triplets rather, uh, who were separated at birth uh, and adopted into three different families. I don't want to say anything more just yet. We'll. Uh, We'll get uh, we'll get more into it, you know, as we as the conversation develops. But Josh, what were your first thoughts on the on the movie? Like, um, well, you know, it it's great movie. Really, yeah. really enjoyed the documentary. It's up on Hulu. If anyone has any interest in watching it and has Hulu, um, very accessible. It's one of those stories where you're gonna. I mean, if they're not gonna make a documentary about it, if they uh, if there aren't certain things that happen. So you kind of know the first decent chunk of things that are going to happen, but it's still really cool seeing it all happen. Yeah. And then the back half of the movie where it gets kind of into, you know, the the later part of the story. I don't know how much you want to spoil or not, but that ended up, you know, I was intrigued by like, you know, the kind of novelty of the situation at the front. And then when he gets into the stuff at the end um, where you couldn't necessarily have predicted it was going to go, it really just kind of tightens that squeeze on your attention. Yeah, and so, so I feel, uh, um, so again, a spoiler alert for anyone who wants to not have the movie ruined for you. Pause the podcast now. Go watch the movie and then come back. Um, welcome back. But like, welcome back now. Now that you watch the movie, <clears throat> um, it's I echo all the points that you just made. Like it starts off with kind of telling you the story of how they found out that they were, you know, identical triplets because they were, you know, they 
adopted into three different families. I believe it was all in the state of New York, but um, it wasn't until they got to college that they actually like met each other. Uh, I think the one brother went to went to a community college and like on his first day, people uh, people were like coming up to him saying like, hey, like, oh, it's good to see you. Like, welcome back, whatever. And he's like, uh, uh, you know, this is a really friendly place, whatever. But like, I'm new here. This is my first day of school. I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, it comes out right that his or one of his identical triplets, I guess, um, was at the school last year. And so he had made all these friends and all these people thought that he was him. Um, you know, fast forward. Right. It it comes out that like, oh, my God, like there were these you know, these identical siblings. Right. That were separated at birth. And it, it, it starts off like Josh was saying, kind of the first half of the movie. A little bit predictable because you know kind of the the stories about triplets right finding each other um and it kind of goes through some of the it, there's a bunch of like old tv footage of like they were on talk shows and stuff about like you know like oh what's it like to meet your long lost triplet or whatever you know and all this like kind of like real uh i'm not sure what the best adjective is but you know it starts off kind of like a, a real happy story and you, and you kind of start saying wow this is this is amazing what a great human interest story um it's not so later on in the story, right? Later on in the movie that you start to find out kind of, well, how did this come to be, right? How, how did you have identical triplets, right? Born and then separated at birth and they didn't know anything about each other. Um, comes, it, comes to, it comes to be that there, there was a, I guess he was a psychiatrist, right? Or a psychologist or something running, doing those experiments. And yeah, they were experimenting with the age-old question of like nature versus nurture and so i can't remember the name of the scientist but he he concocted this experiment of separating identical twins or in this case triplets at birth to see if you know what the differences are between nature and nurture because obviously identical siblings right they have the same dna the the nature is the same uh so the you know the only difference is nurture and, uh, you know, the, the documentary kind of explores from a, obviously a very, you know, uh, specific point of view. It's, it's this specific case of these triplets, but kind of explores in a general sense, kind of the unintended consequences of adoption and kind of the, the things that people don't really talk about with adoption. You know, the, the, you know, I think one of the, you know, maybe the most common conversation that's had when it comes to adoption is usually with respect to the either the adoptive parents or, or from the birth parents. Um, there isn't a whole lot that's been done or a whole lot that's been written, you know, from the perspective of the adoptee. And I thought it was really interesting kind of watching you know, and hearing like, you know, straight from their mouths, like these guys, these, these, these triplets, kind of their story of how they were, how they dealt with kind of the various questions that came up throughout their lives when it came to adoption and kind of, you know, how, you know, there were just things that you know, even they as adoptees, right, never really thought about from the perspective of, of an adoptee, because well, it isn't really something that's commonly talked about. And so I'm starting to ramble now, but I think, um, 
you know, I, I wanted to talk without that. Um, I wanted to talk a lot. I wanted to talk about, um, you know, kind of those unintended consequences of adoption. Um, you know, particularly being that I am an adoptee, right? And um, it, you know, watching this movie, I obviously it is such a ridiculous uh, story, and it's such a such an insane uh, scenario that like it's not something that I can directly relate to, right? I don't have, uh, you know, I, I'm not an identical triplet, right? I, I was not like part of this like psychological experiment, whatever, like, but just the the kind of greater idea of of you know coming to terms with various aspects of being adopted through you know growing up and being becoming an adult is something that I can kind of relate to and so you know I just thought you know this would be a good a good time to kind of take some time to kind of just share my feelings about it and kind of get your thoughts on you know adoption and and kind of you know what you thought about it from the perspective of someone who isn't adopted you right you know who who is kind of on the outside looking in. Well, I mean, it, it, you know, it's going to be tough for me to relate to too much of it because of the fact that I'm not adopted. Um, mm -hmm. I found it very easy to relate to large parts of it since almost everyone in this movie is Jewish. Um, right. And I love, and I love that, like they were, you know, looking at this nature versus nurture thing. And then they split these three triplets up and left them all, within like the greater New York metropolitan area with Jewish families. And it's like, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe the money was a bit different, but like how different they all had Passover tables within like 60 yeah, how, miles. Of each other. How like, different were they really? Yeah. We're talking yeah. about three, three, you know, you know, Caucasian Jewish families in the state of New York. I mean, there's, there's probably more similar there than there's different. Like two guys ended up at the same fucking community college. Like, they, you know, they're not very far apart geographically. Um, yeah. And so that that does bring up a really good point of like this study was flawed from the beginning. Like it wasn't. Well, and that's kind of why I wonder if, uh, you know, this study was brought up. What came first, the idea for the study or the utilitarian concept of uh it's easier to sell a family one baby at a time than it is three you know and mm -hmm. if a scientist you know a psychiatrist came along to a, a, a adoption agency and said hey start splitting up your kids we'll give you some grant money um or if a psychologist heard about the fact that places like this were already doing it yeah and they were like hey let's study that um, which uh, they don't get any answer to because, you know, at the end they try to get access to the study and they can't, and it's all very mischievous and mysterious. Yeah, everything's and, very hush hush. And even the stuff, the little bit that has been released has been heavily redacted and yeah. So, and, and it's, it, it's, it's just, you know, the idea of adoption in a vacuum is, you know, for whatever purpose, the parents of the child feel uh, either they feel or someone responsible for them feels that they cannot care for the child. And a new family comes along and takes that child on. Right. Mm -hmm. Which in, on its face is a great thing. Sure. And that's what makes this documentary so dark is that here is a sinister angle. We're playing on what seems to be one of the very few genuinely altruistic aspects of our human society mm -hmm. 
Uh, and again, for whatever reason, whether it's the utilitarian, and it's like you get both in theory, but it's like, yeah. you, it, it, to the same extent, you'd get doing human trials on a bunch of shit, but like, yeah. it doesn't mean you just do it. And yeah, from a from a very kind of, you know, removing like human ethics and morals from it. Right. And you're if you kind of look at it like, uh, you know, uh, think about if you take the humanity out of the situation. Right. Um, there there was some logic applied. Right. They thought, well, all right, well, let's take these kids who have, uh, you know, the same DNA makeup put them in different environments and see what the differences are. Right. And we'll document it. We'll study it. Right. And so like from a, like you're saying from a very face value, right. You can almost kind of understand, well, I at least understand kind of maybe why they were curious. Right. You kind of get the, you know, the curiosity. Um, and you know, my, the way, the way that I, kind of uh rationalizes the wrong word but the way that i i think kind of makes sense of it right is um i i don't think you know at the time what we're talking so this is to give context right we're talking about i think these these kids were born in like 61 or 62 or something like that so we're talking about like the early 60s right and while you know, in 1960, things had come a long way from since, you know, 1860, right? There, like, there was still a lot of progress that had yet to happen, right? As far as uh, human, human rights things go, right? And so I think in the 1960s, right? I think, I really do think that, you know, the uh, adoption agencies or the scientists or whoever actually was the one who made the call to say, we're going to separate these kids, you know, whoever was the guy who signed off the paper, whatever, um, really thought that like, uh, that these kids were not, uh, they were blank slates, right. That there was no real harm in separating them. Right. Cause you think they're, they're six months old, right. They're six months old. They're, they don't have, they can't talk. They can't tell you that they're upset. They can't. And so it's easy for an adult, who may doesn't know these kids to make the determination of oh their babies will be fine you know now fast forward right you know and, and they even kind of touch on this in the documentary a little bit they talk about how you know each of the different triplets when they were separated they talk about how you know when they were babies you know when they were you know before they could talk right they would they were they they were behavioral kind of uh, clues that like their parents noticed that like, you know, these, these kids were, were not okay. Right. They were, they would like bang their head against the crib. And like, you know, in retrospect, you know, I think people, people would say that, Oh, they had separation anxiety. Right. Um, but you know, we now know right now, psychologists know there, there's been research done that, um, in those early days, right. Those early, like when you're, you know, a few weeks old, a few months old, right? Before you can talk, you're forming memories. You are forming, you know, uh, you know, experiences and having formative things, you know, and just because you don't have um, language to encode those memories and be able to recall them, you know, later in life, doesn't mean that those memories aren't there. And a lot of times, um, you know, this is particularly uh um, 
you know, uh, of note when it comes to adoptees, because, you know, all adoptees, right, to some varying degree, share that experience of at a very early age, having, uh, you know, a traumatic event, that traumatic event being, you know, taking taken from their birth mother and and then placed in either a foster home or, uh, you know, with your birth family, whatever the process was. Um, but there is that sort of um, trauma that all adoptees face to, to varying degrees. And, and it's been shown in studies that like, you know, that, that, that traumatic event, that trauma can have lasting impact kind of later in life and, and manifest itself in, in all kinds of different ways, be it, you know, separation anxiety or be it, you know, different kinds of mental health issues or, um, you know, all sorts of different things that, you know, up until recently, and when I said recently, I mean like maybe the last 10 years, no one really was talking about and no one really knew anything about because no one had really done the research to kind of investigate and figure out, well, you know, is there anything to this? You know, I think it was for a long time, people would think that, you know, until you were, you know, a year old or year and a half, whenever you really start talking, right, that all the stuff before that, Eh, it doesn't really matter. Like, you know, but we've actually found that that's, you know, those are very important moments in uh, your development as a person and they can have lasting impacts. I mean, they, they used to think that babies couldn't feel pain. Yeah. Like that used to be a thing. They used to think that fucking fully formed humans with nervous systems couldn't feel pain yeah, because they like probably won't they, remember it. Like just because they couldn't tell you say the words, ouch, I'm in pain. Don't do that. Right. They're like, oh, they can't feel pain. Right. And so they would do like, you know, fucking, you know, surgery. Yeah. yeah like, oh, they don't need anesthesia. They, they can't feel pain. Yeah. Um, and it's that kind of closed minded seems too, uh, too narrow, but like, it's, it's that kind of closed minded outlook, right. Of like, uh, um, Oh, this is a different. The situation's different than mine. Like, so, it, it, like, it's not worth paying attention to. Well, it's just, it's just the idea of how medicine fucking works. Like, if, like, we developed as as humans, uh, calculus and you know physics and um, astronomy. Astronomy. You know, we figured out that the the Earth was circular using geometry involving the stars and patterns. And George Washington died from bloodletting because they thought it would cure his flu. Yeah. Like, and we we figured out calculus back in like the fucking early year. Like, I think we're talking Six, BC 16, here. No, no, no. Calculus was invented in 1660 something by 1680 something by Isaac Newton. I thought, oh, no, you're right. I'm thinking of um, Calcul calculus is Newton. Yeah. When was Copernicus? I'm thinking I'm confusing with astronomy. Copernicus, uh, is he 15 something or is that Galileo? Is he 15 something? I think Copernic that's Galileo. Copernicus is before that, then I don't know. I don't fucking know. But, oh, point, before point being, yeah. yeah, a fucking while ago, you uh, know, a, a little fucking minute. Um, yeah, and then like, you know, the, the we are the amount of non idiotic thinking we've had, like hand washing before mm -hmm. surgery is recent. 
It's super new. It's super it, like, new. Like it's fucking surgeons, crazy. Surgeons used to like fucking smoke cigarettes while they were doing cert. You ma- you fucking imagine like being cut open on an operating table and the surgeons like hanging over you with a fucking lit cigarette going. All right, yeah. Well, we're how, cool about, it, like, how about anytime you watch crazy. like a war era movie, you know, or a movie that takes place in the Civil <laughs> War, and they have to fucking amputate somebody's leg. And it's like, ah, Jim, here's some scotch. We got a hacksaw here yeah. and some free time. Yeah. Like, yeah, here's a, yeah, here, here's a here, chug, chug this bottle of whiskey, bite down on this piece of rope, and uh, hold on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, here we fucking go, man. It, it, it is crazy how much. And, and then you th- so you think about like how long we're doing these, just these like ridiculous things in the field of medicine, right? And then like how much progress has been made in 50 years, right? You know, even, you know, whatever. Like all of like we, we've just kind of had this like, you know, uh, I don't know, enlightenment, a medical enlightenment. Is that a, is that a, a, a good way of saying it maybe or? Yeah, I think I think that and and science has progressed a bunch. You know, you think about the 100 year gap between the Civil War again when they're cutting people's legs off um, due to shit that nowadays you wouldn't even have to get that amputated. Um, but no, cutting people's not. legs no. off. A yeah. hundred years later, we have commercial flights and went to the moon. Yeah, like no. you know, it's just, it's just been leaps and bounds of progress, um, which is why I think stuff like this study entered into a you know an intersection in time where we're doing so much learning and so much observing and studying and and you know expanding the the human sciences as well as you know the hard sciences um but it cross-sectioned with um a point in time before we had really clear ethics yeah and and a poor understanding of the mental aspect of things. In addition to just the outcome, mm-hmm. there's also mm-hmm. the journey that leads to the outcome yep. that is kind of left. You know, if someone if someone um, becomes an alcoholic, you know, and you you check that person into rehab, and all you just go, it's an alcoholic. Well, yeah. that's not like that's not that's not it. Like there's 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 more to there's that person. More to the story. Yeah, that person didn't wake up one day a year ago and said, "Oh fuck, I am an alcoholic now." Now yeah. today is my first day of alcoholism. I'm gonna go start being alcoholic and getting drunk. Like no, there's like a lifetime of experience and mental uh, uh, issues and a whole bunch of different things that go into it. But up until like you're saying, like ten years ago, fifteen years ago. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just like, oh, that guy's a fucking alcoholic. Oh, that guy, crackhead. End of story. Yeah. That guy, yeah, and there was no, heroin. and there was no uh, even like effort made, right, to try to understand. Well, what what's the underlying cause here, or are there, you know, unintended consequences to you know certain things that might have led him or, or this person to the you know whatever, and and it is, it's crazy to think about, right? How how recent that idea is, right? That idea of like just wanting to understand the individual, right? And wanting to understand kind of uh, like you said, kind of how they got here, right? Not just, you know, what are your symptoms right now? What are you, you know what I mean? Really trying to understand kind of how, what's the whole story? How did, how did you get here? You know, and, and, 
and not just because that's a good thing to do as a human being to try to connect with people, but because we found that like that actually helps the long-term prognosis for, uh, you know, we'll continue running with your example for, you know, of alcoholism, right? It, you know, being able to kind of like drill into and understand kind of the underlying characteristics and kind of the patterns of human behavior and kind of the, the whole story of what led this individual to alcoholism actually helps you address, right, the issue of alcoholism, right, and and actually helps you have a better um, outcome, all while you know also being a good person and developing a human connection with another individual. Like, and so it is, you know, maybe it's just because, you know, I've kind of come of age in a time where that is very prevalent and kind of, you know, am finding myself as an adult in an age where that is something that is very top of mind and very present in society now. But I just think it's crazy. I think it's crazy how before, you know, like 10, 20 years, like no one did this. It's, it, it's, it's ludicrous. It's, it's crazy. It's it seen, it makes so much intuitive sense to me that it doesn't make sense how it didn't make intuitive sense to other people. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. And it does. And I, I, I think a degree of it has to do with the assignment of value to people has also shifted a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a, I, I, I think based on how uh, the older generation people that I talk to every now and then, talk um you know you see a person homeless on the street and and people will go oh fuck that guy i don't know what brought him to this point but a hundred percent of it was his fault and all of these are conscious choices that he or she is making and it's like well that's just fucked up um and i think that same idea got gets extended at least at this point in time um and you know then plus like 20 years going from when these uh, when the subjects of these document this documentary were were born, that uh, adoptee children had no agency because they were, for whatever reason, not with their biological parents, and that was like enough, you know? Yeah. Because there's, well, that, there's no way I, this study happens with a pair of twins or a set of triplets, um, where like the parents, the biological parents were intending on keeping them and the government came in and said, all right, you can keep one. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like that that would happen. And so I think, I think the way a lot of, you know, like these adoption type issues get rationalized, right, is, is because of that exact issue, because of the fact that, hey, we're taking a child who, you know, on paper is coming from a, a, a place of, of, of lesser privilege, right? Maybe the, the, the birth mother is financial, like doesn't have the finances to take care of the child, or maybe there are mental health issues, maybe there, whatever the issue is, right? We're, we're, we're the, the kind of classic story of adoption, right? Is, 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 you know, the sacrifice of the birth mother, right? To recognize that she can't provide for this child as best as, you know, she wants to. The, um, I don't know if heroism is the right word, but the heroism, right, of the adoptive parents, you know, being the selfless people to to take in this this child who is in need, and and that's kind of the whole conversation a lot of the times. It's it's this, you know, oh, 
you know, it doesn't matter what we what happens to the child because we rationalize it by saying that they're having they're, they're going to have a better life and more opportunities than they would have otherwise. Therefore, any trauma or anything else that happens is justified. And I, so I think it's important to say, though, I that I, I don't want to sound like I'm an adoption hater. I think I think it is a valid view to have right of you know of thinking about the uh, uh sacrifice of the birth parents and and kind of the the selflessness of adoptive parents kind of accepting in a child into their home and, and, and caring for them i just think that's it's it it's not the whole story it leaves out part of the story right and and it's very easy if those are the only two perspectives you talk about and kind of, you know, and that's your knowledge of adoption. It's very easy, to, I think, to develop a kind of distorted view of adoption and that like, oh, it's all sunshine and rainbows. Like everyone is benefiting here and there are no negatives. While I will certainly say that I think more often than not, the benefits outweigh the, you know, the negatives. Um, there are, uh, for lack of a better word, just unintended consequences, right. That go along with adoption. Right. And kind of, I talked about them a little bit, you know, the kind of that, that, that early trauma of, you know, of a developing child and kind of the, uh, having to, you know, you know being in a, a new environment that's strange and that you don't, you know, feel comfortable in, um, it's it's a very traumatic experience for 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 a child and you know and there's there's stories you can read of, of like adopt adoptive parents and adoptees talking about kind of you know some of the you know the early days of you know when they when they brought their child home and, and sometimes it, it's it is all sunshine and rainbows you know sometimes it is that kind of storybook you know like oh you know we you know we from day one, you know, they, they felt right at home and everything was falling right in place and there really is no issues. Um, but to say that that happens all the time, I think is a disservice to adoptees who I, I can also, I can say that from personal experience, right. It's sometimes difficult to kind of rationalize, right. The, um, gratitude you have like towards your own adoption so like for me personally i've always had this tremendous sense of gratitude and towards you know my birth mother and like the sacrifice she made to give me the life that i have and I, i've had tremendous opportunities in life and like I, you know there's not a doubt in my mind that i've been able to experience more and have had more opportunities with my adoptive family than i would have had i not been put up for adoption um, that being said, though, it's very hard sometimes to kind of reconcile that sense of gratitude, that immense sense of gratitude with the kind of uh, raw emotional reaction, right? That is, uh, you know, a reaction of like of abandonment and of uh, not fitting in and of being rejected and of, of which you know, from a logical standpoint, again, it's very easy to kind of dismiss these, you know, I, I it's very easy from the logic side of my brain to take over and say like, oh, your family loved you. You have all these great friends. Your life was great. You know, and, and that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that kind of very visceral emotional response of like, 
yeah, I get all that logic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But sometimes, you know what? I just feel really angry about like, you know, having been, for lack of a better word, you know, given up or 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 rejected, right? And that sense of like rejection is something that a lot of adoptees, I've done a little bit of research on it. A lot of adoptees struggle to varying degrees with that sort of fear of rejection and, you know, more so than the average person. And I think just now, now that people are starting to kind of talk about it more and, you know, that there are things like, you know, like this podcast, different forums where people are kind of expressing their thoughts that adoptees are starting to kind of open up and have these conversations, but that's a very new thing. I, th- I think there were a lot of people, myself included for a long time that kind of felt that it wasn't right to talk about those feelings. It wasn't right to talk about how, like, uh, you know, I sometimes feel a little bit angry about my adoption, you know, not for a logical reason, but for an emotional reason. And, you know, the more research I do and kind of the more stuff that comes out, it's, you know, realizing that, Hey, that's okay. Because that's part of adoption too. You know, it's part of the story. It's not, it's the part that doesn't get talked about as much, but it's just as much a part of the story. Well, and, and, you know, it's like you said, you don't want to feel ungrateful, you know, um, yeah. despite, and, 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 you know, that's part of the being a person as a whole is feeling your feelings in whatever way they manifest, despite the situation you may or may not like, you know, at, at the start of the pandemic, a lot of my friends got laid off, you mm-hmm. know, um, or at least, you know, a lot of people I know saw like hours reductions and stuff like that. And so when I had like a shit day or week at work and because, you know, I didn't get laid off. I didn't lose any hours. I'm sitting there like, you know, like I really shouldn't complain because like at least I have a job. But like, right. holy shit, my boss is the fucking worst, yeah. you know, and that's still a valid thing for you to feel like, yeah. you know, despite the situation. And it's the same thing to a much, much more significant extent with with what you're describing with adoption. You know, like just because you're in a really good spot. Mm-hmm. And you're in a you have a good family who loves you and takes care of you doesn't mean you're not still allowed to go. Well, shit, you know, like I still have this feeling, despite the fact that like maybe on paper, I like whatever someone would say, you're you know, fuck that shit. Yeah, it's still your feeling. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it it, it took a, it took a long time for me to 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 get comfortable with the idea that. You can have both feelings, right? You can at the same time be grateful that you still have a job but also feel like your boss is being a dick and be frustrated with work. Like both of those are valid feelings and you can hold both of them at the same time. I think, you know, and I think that's becoming more and more of a like widely accepted belief, right. And a widely accepted thing. But I think, you know, Josh, to your point, right. I think the reason, Right. Maybe the reason you felt that like, oh, I should be grateful for just having a job is that you felt like if you complain to your friends who don't have a job, right, about how like shitty work is, they would say, to you, oh, well, at least you have a job. Like, stop complaining. Like, at least you have a job. You know what I mean? And like that. Uh, what is, it's, it's, it's a logical fallacy, right? It's it's saying, you know, the, the, that it's not one or the other. You can have both right. opinions, you know, it's a false dichotomy false dichotomy that's thank you um you Got know your back buddy and you know i i remember i remember talking with some some friends who are adoptees 
um, kind of about this, right? Kind of about this, like feeling of like feeling weird about feeling grateful, but also like kind of frustrated about the adoption, right? And and I could kind of when I was talking with him, I, I could see their eyes go like, "Oh yeah, I have that too," and and it was almost like uh, like it's difficult to kind of put word to sometimes, right? You just kind of have this sense of like cognitive dissonance where like things just don't feel right, but you can't really kind of put your finger on it. Um, and I think, you know, and we've talked about this, and I think in a couple of different respects, but I think the more we talk about these kinds of things, right, the more that this becomes part of, you know, just the public discourse, right. As far as, you know, being comfortable, saying that you're uncomfortable, you know, and getting comfortable with being honest with your feelings and kind of being cool with gray areas. Right. And, and I think the more that happens um, in, a, in a general sense, right. Not just specifically about mental health or about adoption or that just the more that that happens in a general sense, I think the better off um, people are going to be, you know, because I think, I think a lot of a lot of you know just everyday people's like uh, frustrations with life and and are uh, an inability to like express how they feel really how they feel you know and an inability to like really connect with other people who feel the same way and I think you know the more kind of open we are and the more introspective we try to be and the more um we try to understand and really get to the the root of you know what makes people tick i think that'll also help us kind of understand you know ourselves hey man whole world's got to go to therapy look yeah. man if albert einstein couldn't figure his shit out and needed a therapist we all need therapists so that man was a res of fucking genius yeah there you go man albert einstein saw a therapist regularly regularly yeah. and and I, I i'm I'm not sure what the quote but he like credited like a lot of you know uh, a lot of things to his his therapist you know his therapist helped him work through a lot of things i mean and no one is you know no one could do it own, right you know there's everyone needs help sometimes and i think um you know, be it a therapist, be it, you know, a friend or just a trusted confidant, whatever, just being able to express yourself in an open uh, kind of filter free way, I think is really good. You know, for a lot of people that is, you know, going to a therapist and talking to a therapist. But, you know, I think the the essence of what is helpful about that is really just that being able to express yourself wholly and openly and, and, you know, without fear of judgment or without fear of ridicule. Um, and, and I think a lot of times, like I, some of my biggest, like breakthroughs in breakthroughs in therapy, right. Have been not from things that the therapist is telling me or from when they're talking, but it's from when I'm talking and I'm just kind of like talking out loud and like, you know, sorting through ideas and, and in that process of exploring my emotions and kind of exploring my thoughts openly without fear of judgment, I'll kind of have a, an epiphany and go, Oh, I, I never thought about it like that. Like, I, you know, I'm 
there's clarity there. And so that is, is what I would suggest to, to everyone listening, you know, whether it is with a classical kind of, you know, sit on a couch and, you know, lay down and talk to the therapist kind of thing, or if it's a less traditional, you know, whatever it is, you know, find some way that you can express yourself openly and, you know, without fear of judgment or ridicule. And I think that will, that'll help a lot of people, you know, with connecting with themselves and also with other people and just helping them understand themselves better. That's the goal, man. Self-awareness. Self-awareness. That's the goal. Nothing wrong with being mad. Just got to know that you are mad. And it might take you some time to figure out yeah, why you're mad, but you got to understand that maybe yeah. you're just mad. Uh, maybe you got to walk away. I live with my girlfriend. We both work from home <laughs> in a one bedroom apartment. Sometimes you just got to go, look, I'm not quite sure why I'm upset at this moment, but I am upset in this moment. So I'm going to walk away and then revisit that yeah. situation in a few minutes. Yep. Yep. You know, and and that even just that right there, that is that requires such a high level of like uh, of just knowing yourself. Right. You have like to really know yourself. Right. To know like, hey, I'm angry and like I'm here with you, but I, you know, I, I'm going to take it out on you if we keep talking. So I just need a minute to like decompress and then we'll we'll come back to this. Right. That's a very that's a super adult th thought to have, like not even an adult thought to have, like most adults fucking don't have that level of self-awareness right it's a it's you as a person are going to be so good at justifying almost everything you do while you're doing it and so it's so easy for like i don't know um my girlfriend is uh drinking too loud or something it's so easy for yeah, me to be like fucking knock i don't fucking drink that loud when you're working you know yeah. you whatever it is a dick you know and like yeah. That's a ludicrous thing to think, but when you're worked up about a different thing and that's, and something is happening that just draws your ire or your attention where you can be like, mm -hmm. that's, that's now what I'm mad about instead, you're going to do yeah. it and you're going to justify it instead of saying like, all right, I, I, I need whatever I need to find it. I need to look around and figure this out because this yeah. isn't going sometimes. And you know what? The most common fucking answer for, for me or my girlfriend is hungry. Just, yeah. uh, you know what? Just, I'm just going to go to the kitchen and see if it sparks some inspiration here. Yeah. I just need a snack. Just, just need a little snackaroo and, and we'll be good. Um, you know, but like, I, it, it's, it, it's surprising. I guess it's not surprising, but it, it's, it's a little crazy how, how rare that level of self-awareness is. And, uh, it's just that, just that alone, right? Having that level of self-awareness would solve so many, or not even, not even solve, would prevent so many arguments and, and is issues from, from even materializing in the first place, right? You know, there's, I haven't ran the numbers, right? So I don't have the statistics in front of me, but like, I would bet that a majority of like day-to-day like disagreements and arguments. Now I'm not talking about like disagreements about like global policy or shit like that, but like just like day to day are, are rooted in like 
some other ridiculousness, like some something else that has nothing to do with what you're actually fighting about. Like what you were just talking about. Like you're, you're just eating way too loud. Like they, we're not arguing about how loud you eat. We're arguing about something else. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And most people just don't have either don't have the level of self-awareness or just have never, you know, actually been forced to like, you know, have that level of introspection and like turn the, you know, turn the glasses back on them, back on them. You know what I mean? And actually look inward. I think one of my favorite um, quotes or whatever you want to call it, right? Is it like, you know, we judge, um, we judge others based on their actions and we judge ourselves based on our intentions. All right. And so, you know, someone can be well-intentioned, right? But if they do something that you perceive as whatever, you, you judge them based on the action. Whereas, you know, ourselves, we, we know our own intentions behind an action. And so we, we judge, you know, what our intentions are, not how they're perceived. And so I, I think it's something that, you know, since I heard that, something I've tried to do is the opposite. I've tried to judge myself, right, and, and be really conscious about my actions and how they're perceived. Because that's how other people are going to perceive them, right? They, they don't, they don't, can't tell what my intentions are. All they see are the actions, and on the flip side of that, I try to judge other people based on, you know, their intentions, or I try to get some insight into what their intentions are behind an action, right? Someone might do something that upsets you, right? And, and, and the, the knee-jerk reaction would be to get mad at them, right? For, for like, oh, you did this thing that, that made me mad. Like, I don't like you. I'm mad with you. Um, but what I've tried to do, right, you know, is, is before I have that thought, because that still might be a valid thought. You know, but before I jump to that is try to understand, well, why did they do the thing that they did? You know, what was their thinking? Did they think was their intention to be helpful and it came out as hurtful? Was their intention to, you know, whatever, you know, and a lot of times you can give someone the benefit of the doubt. Right. And a lot of times, you know, if their intention were pure, you know, which they could be that then there is no need for to take offense or to, you know, it's simply a, a misunderstanding or miscommunication. Um, and so just trying to extend people that, uh, that level of patience and that level of, um, understanding, um, yeah, I, I do that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I think I think the other part of it is that I think a lot of people consciously or unconsciously are afraid of turning that eye on themselves. Mm. It's like if I'm not actually mad about how loud my girlfriend chews, what else is going on in there? Yeah, it's, if you're if you're telling me that that's not a real thought, yeah. what else am I doing? Yeah, it's it isn't actually a real thought. It's scary. I mean, it, it, it can be scary. It can be daunting to really have that level of self, you know, that, that introspection, right. Of, of self-analysis. Like a lot of people haven't done that and really spent time with their own thoughts. And, you know, it, it could be, uh, you, you, you would be, you'd be amazed at, at how many of your immediate feelings can be foiled by basic follow-up questions. Yep. Like, are yeah. you sure? Why? Is that really what you want to be feeling right now? We're we are such uh like 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 
fickle creatures, right? We, we jump, we, we are so quick to jump to conclusions and jump to, to answer, like without really having any kind of logic to back it up, right? Like we, our emotional brain or our emotional thought like works so much faster than our logic brain does. You know, you, you, you will develop a feeling about something long before you've, you know, had time to process all of the logic and data that kind of goes into a situation. Like you'll develop a kind of gut feeling based, you know, on it very quickly, you know, and sometimes that's, good thing sometimes it's you know there's a reason for it you know we we uh, as humans have developed this uh you know way of living for a reason right it, it's it, it it helps us in our daily lives but it's not always the most accurate way to make decisions or the most accurate way to build relationships or try to understand people right you know i, I think you know especially as we you know develop you know further as a society and, and there's more and more methods of communicating and technology increases and things like that and you know we're gonna have to you know we're gonna be interacting with people from all walks of life in, in a in a way that never before anyone ever has right and we're gonna have to be sensitive to you know the individual the different individuals across the world and and, and trying to understand them and you know, and the way to do that is, is, you know, by having patience and, and by trying to, you know, extend a, you know, a genuine caring and understanding, you know, to other people. Or just understand that some people suck and you don't have to give them all your time, but understand that some people suck by mistake and you got to kind of be nice about that. Yeah. Cause you, like, I, I don't yeah. want everyone to think that like Matt and I are the world's touchy feeliest people because I don't and that's not to make it sound callous either. It's the idea that like if you see somebody to first off benefit of the doubt, you know, always benefit of the doubt, try to come from an emotional place, but also understand some people do fucking suck. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent is not worth trying to see their point of view on things. No, no. You know, but it, but but oftentimes it, it it's worth checking, you know. Oh, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, you know, you don't want to like just look at everybody like, you know, eyeballing people on the street like that guy sucks. That guy yeah, sucks. Yeah. She's cool. Like, you know, you, you want to once, once you've accumulated enough data, right, to make an accurate judgment on whether or not someone sucks. If they still suck, fuck them. Like, yeah, all, yeah. all I'm trying to get at is that, like, you've got to find out. You can't assume that they suck. You got to right. find out. Right. That they suck. You always got to put in yeah. the work, but no, no one's saying that once you figure out someone sucks, you still need to be like super fucking nice to them. You know, if you put in no, the work, absolutely not. No, you made your determination that like, ah, oh, you know, Jim, fuck Jim. Then you know what? That's okay. Cause guess what? Jim might really be a dick. You don't got to like yeah. Jim. Fuck yeah. Jim. Yeah. But and you before know, that's, you that's say a big part of Jim, it too. Do the, you, you've got to do the work to actually find out whether or not, and this isn't, this is an important because I think a lot of people think that they like, oh yeah, I, I know Jim. Like I, I checked it. I, I talked to Jim for five minutes and like, yeah, fuck him. Like that's not what we're talking about, right? Like if if, if this guy Jim, right? We're gonna keep using Jim, right? Sorry if there's any Jims out there listening, right? But if he, if you think that Jim sucks, right? Um, I mean, you gotta and you gotta engage him in the in in and find out for sure. You can't you can't be making uh blanket uh 
wide sweeping statements, right? And just assume that Jim sucks. You know? Yeah, you got to ask him pointed questions. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to have a, you should have a concrete, you should have a concrete example. You should have a reason. Why? Why? Why Jim sucks? Yeah. Like it, it shouldn't be just that Jim sucks. It should be that, oh, Jim sucks because bought a modulus base and we'll uh, plug it in (laughs) no jim sucks because he thinks all people of color are like lesser are of lesser worth than than white people like yeah that's a that would be a reason to not like jim right or or that jim uh i don't know likes to you know sit on his front porch and shoot old ladies with with his paintball gun like I, I don't know i'm just trying to make up something ridiculous like if you've got a concrete reason or not like someone that's good enough but but you got to have a reason you can't just uh you know yeah you, you can't just go making too rash of judgments on people but um, i don't know yeah uh, it's okay to try testing that boundary every now and then how sna- how much of a snap it can be um and you know it also goes it also goes the other way which is understanding that you can you're allowed to dislike some people. I know this comes up especially it's like the opposite end of the adoption spectrum which is like you know I I see my parents and I'm not saying me specifically necessarily um like uh but man you know I I didn't I didn't grow up like in the ghetto and you know we we were never homeless like they provided but at the same time gee uh that guy's a fucking asshole um Mm -hmm. and i hate him you know like whether that's a temporary feeling or a permanent one depends on your situation in life but also coming to the you know the opposite end of it which is you know they've done these things so i should feel grateful uh but no i in fact dislike them um is also because like, you know, I hate when someone goes, oh, man, if your your parents are so alive, you should call them every day. What if that person's parents fucking suck? You know, statistically speaking, standard deviation wise, a lot of people having kids are like several standard deviations below good person, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some people's parents are going to be fucking assholes. Yeah. You know, Jared Kushner's a dad. That guy sucks. You know, if yeah. my future kid ran to Jared Kushner's future kid, I wouldn't want to be playdates going on playdates with that person because that person's parents sucks. And you'd hope, you know, Trump's got like a 14 year old kid. I hope that kid looks up at his dad and says, you oh, actually he's taller than him. You fucking suck. Like yeah. and, it, and it can take yeah. a while to get there because the whole thing we talked about <laughs> earlier about where your standing is in life and you know the on paper attributes of it but uh, at some point you also are allowed to say to yourself like i understand all these things you still fucking blow like like then there's nothing i don't want to change that opinion yeah And, and i also think though you can like i said you can have both opinions right you can be simultaneously grateful for the fact that your family you know provided a a shelter and home uh, and a home for you while also thinking that they are, you know, we're not great people. You can have both thoughts, right? You know, people are complicated. And so the thoughts that go along with them, right? The thought can also be complicated, right? You're allowed that people are not one dimensional. And so 
your thoughts and interpretations and feelings towards them don't also have to be one dimensional. Right. And, and, you know, much the same way as you want to be, like we were just saying in kind of a joking fashion, you want, you don't want to be understanding of people and you know, you know, you're allowed to think people are dicks, but give them a shot at the end of that though. You're still allowed to think that they're fucking assholes, even if they're yeah. closer to you as, 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 you know, in proximity or life than other people, you know, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to just be like, I met Jim yesterday, talked to him for two hours. He fucking sucks. I never want to see Jim again. It could be someone that you like, no, you know, yeah. you're allowed to like, a, whether it's as distant as a coworker who shares a cubicle space with you or um, as close like, as a parent. One of, my, or, one of yeah. my aunts, one of my aunts, fucking worst. Hate that fucking woman. I haven't called her aunt name since I was like nine. Like she's awful. She's terrible. I can't stand her. Yeah. And so it took me a while to be like, you know what? I think it's okay. I don't like this woman because there's a lot of people out there who would tell you, oh, that's family. Exactly. Blood is is thicker than anything, man. It's 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 that's everything you got. It's family. You got to you got, you know, and I think there is, you know, obviously, you know, those people are well meaning, right? Their intentions are good. Right. Um. And you're and you're likely to put too, more work in on family than you are on random person number five. You know, if there's someone sure, yeah, yeah. worth patching it up with, it's going to be family, I guess. Sure. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, that, that's not an excuse. It's not an excuse. It's not a, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I you know, you. Uh, you can decide to, you know cut out you know anyone from your life that you choose that you choose to and that anyone who's not you know adding to your life or, or or experience in any way and that is you know actively detracting from it then you know just because someone's family is not a good enough reason to um to maintain a relationship with them you know it's a it's a good reason to maybe want to um like you said put maybe a little bit more work or effort in, but, but it's at the end of the day, that can't be the only reason. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, my, my, my grandparents are great people for, for talking about this type of shit with. Cause like, I, I didn't find out that my grandfather had a sister until I was like 18. There was just, really? there, was, there was just a great aunt floating around. I think she lives in like North Carolina that I just like, didn't know about. Until like a passing comment, my grandmother was like, oh, yeah, you know, we haven't heard from your grandfather's sister in a while. I'm like, fucking who? Um, <laughs> because they, yeah. they, just, they just they just don't get along. And, that, and, that, and that's it. Yeah. And you know what? It, it sounds so like they're the, both better off for was, it. Yeah, there was no they there was no issue for your grandfather to say, you know what? Like, we don't get along as people. So let's not force the issue. Yeah, and there was never like, any let, awkward not... trips down to North Carolina to be like, oh, well, you know, we got to see her. She's family. No. Yeah, no. Like, we don't get along. We're not like, like, why would I waste time hanging out with someone who I don't want to hang out with? Yeah. That's dumb. Yeah. And end of conversation, you know? That, yeah. That, that, that's where it is. All right. I did. I, I know we were probably moving towards wrapping up soon, but I, I did have one other um, hot take, hashtag hot take, I wanted to bring up uh, or float by you in line with our original topic of adoption. I think adoptions should be free. 
I think so, I think having this much money in adoptions is, is leads to uh, a lot of morality and ethical questions. So the only issue I well, so from like a from from a morality standpoint, I agree with you. I see where you're saying. I I don't think that cost should be a barrier. Like, 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 like if there's people who are good people, right, who have the means to take care of a, a child, right, and, and, and who want who would otherwise pass the screening process, cost shouldn't be the barrier. I agree with you on that. At the same time, having a baby, you know, biologically, right, like having like that's not free. Like, I mean, there's all the doctors. I mean there are different costs associated with it, but there are costs associated with having a baby. Right. And so it's not like having a baby is already free. You know what I mean? And that like, Oh, we're just charging people who want other people's babies. And I think the, one of the issues, right. With, with, with removing all the fees and all the shit that go along with adoption. Right. Is that one of the, best things I think about adoption in the way that like, at least the United States kind of has it it's structured and kind of the way we do things is that if you're adopting a child, like you want that child and you, and you have to go through, you know, an extensive, you know, you know, either, you know, between the, the, the money and the, and the, the different home visits and it's a process to, to, to do this and and by having this kind of high cost right maybe it's not the best way of looking at it but i feel like it kind of it, it makes sure that only the people who are serious about adopting you know actually go forward with the process and and i think that again i i haven't done the research so i don't have the data in front of me but i would uh, i would guess and it wouldn't surprise me if I'm not sure how you would measure it, but like that, if more um, uh, adoptive parents were, you know, ready to be parents versus, you know, biological parents being ready to be parents when they had their first kid, because I mean, if you get pregnant, there's no one comes to check in on you to make sure that you're ready to be a parent. No one comes to check to make sure that like you've got a home that is, safe for a child and that you've got, you know, and all this other stuff that all happens when you go through the adoption process. And a lot of the cost associated with it is to fund things like that. And so I get what you're saying that like the high cost of adoption does keep some people out of it who might otherwise be good parents, but I just don't know of another way to, to, to set it up so that you're still getting that kind of high quality of like, you know, the parents are ready, you know, they're serious about it, whatever. And you know what I mean? Oh, I mean, the, the government pays for it. That would be the alternative. So like, if you wanted to, so would you say like, if you wanted to adopt, you would like apply through the government or something. You'd say like, Hey, I want to adopt and like, yeah, get like a government grant or something. Well, not even that. I can see that. There'd be be no dollars exchanging hands. Because I think one of the other things that makes it morally ambiguous is the fact that there's a dollar value for however the cost structure of all the things you mentioned breaks down. There's a dollar value assigned to a person. 
And I think that's what kind like so with the plot of this movie or the documentary that got you know brought up this study wanting to look at children who get separated how much money do you think that they gave the adoption agency to conduct that study i bet it was commensurate with however expensive it is to adopt a child in some degree whether it was you know mm. twofold or tenfold i bet they based that yeah. value on the value or on the cost associated with placing a child in a home yeah and like the fact that that's where we're making our decisions and how we're valuing literal lives is quite bizarre. In addition to the fact that maybe we'd have a better um, quality foster care if there was less foster families because more kids actually had the opportunity to get adopted because as of right now, the barrier to entry is an immensely high cost. And that's I, it, a, it's not good point. want you know, yeah. it, it's at a point where it's not want because it's it's tens of thousands of dollars. It is a very. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. Oh, I, I know. I know. Yeah, I know. I know. You know, yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of dollars. Yeah, it's a lot of dollars. It's super fun. Um, it's, it's like it's like a year or two of college. Like, it's really fucking expensive. Uh, it is. And, and, and it's so, just going to keep a lot of people out who would make so, good parents. And so I, I, I will say, like, again, I. I, I it is more expensive. So I'm, I'm going to say that up front. It is more expensive, I think, to adopt versus having, you know, but if you exclude the, really what makes this such a big difference to the, you know, to the end user, right? To, to, to you, the, the, you know, the individual, whatever, is that if you're pregnant, right? If you get pregnant, right? Like, your health insurance will cover a lot of, the cost associated with the doctor's visits and all that other, all that all other right. stuff that go. But right. in, you see, in my perfect world where, where adoptions are free, healthcare is also free. So. Yeah. But so my point though, yeah. is that like the dollars that are required to do the things that you need to do to have a baby naturally, aren't that far off from the dollars required to go through the adoption process. Now, again, it is a little bit more to adopt, but when you do like full cost accounting, right, and you look at everything that goes into it, it's not as different of a picture as it ends up being for the end person because you've got insurance covering costs on one end and no one covering the cost. It's just all out of your pocket on the other side. And so I like your idea of there being some sort of Tinder for babies. Uh, no, <laughs> no, I, I, but I like the idea of there being some sort of government um, or some sort of, you know, uh, I mean, think about how wild it is that we have basically like private institutions that handle placement of children. It's kind of wacky. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, yeah. a completely private institution can just go into a hospital room and be like, thank you for the child and then go mm -hmm. give it to a different family. That's just like. I mean, it's a next level. It's a teeny bit more complicated than that, but that's basically it. Yeah, a smidge, just <laughs> yeah, yeah. a smidge. Just, yeah. It's honestly only a smidge more complicated. It's really it, yeah. that's kind of it. Teaspoon um, more complicated. But um, you know, I, I so I think maybe we'll see. Maybe maybe in the future we will see more of a, a government involvement or, or whatever. But I think. I think the reason you see kind of still this privatization, like these private institutions, right. Doing all of this is that, um, 
you know, back, uh, you know, think back in the 1960s, right? There, there was the people who, um, actually, so I think, so Holt is the adoption agency that my sister was adopted through. They're a, a very big organization, um, located in, in South Korea, like specifically for like Korean adoptees, right? Like that's like their shit. Um, they, they were like one of the first organizations established, um, they might've been the first, uh, of like international adoptions for Korean babies. Um, and I think the reason you see all these private institutions is that those are the people who took an interest in the situation, right? There was a personal interest from, I believe his name was, it was Henry Holt or Harry Holt was his name. Um, who said, you know what, this is like something that I care about. I care about, you know, uh, helping South Korean babies find a home. Like that was like, which, which is like a weirdly specific thing to be passionate about, but like, that was a, a thing that he was passionate about. And so he, you know, opens, you know, this adoption agency and it, it you know, flourishes, you know, whatever. I, I don't think, um, it's it's very much so a recent thing that adoptions become a, a more mainstream talked about thing, you know, back in the 60s, 70s, even like the 80s and even the 90s, early 90s, I think it was kind of a hush hush, like, you know, you there was a thing, but like you didn't really talk about it. Like you just kind of went, you got the baby. And then like once you hit like that was it, you know, you it was a thing you did. Um it wasn't really until kind of like the internet and things like that started appearing that, that you started seeing, um, I think just people talking about adoption just in general. Um, and so maybe now that we're seeing, you know, more and more kind of open lines of communication around adoption, maybe we'll start to see some kinds of overhauls as far as like the way, um, like the industry works, you know, maybe, maybe we will start to see more of a, you know, uh, you know, governments getting involved and in kind of, you know, this being more of a, you know, more accessible to people and more, um, you know, not that I think that there is, you know, to any degree, you know, like what it was before a stigma around adoption, but there is still a little bit of one. And, and I think as, you know, as time goes on, you know, that's just, you know, becoming less and less of a factor. And, um, it should be, um, you know, I, I remember as a kid, right? Like being like like being very young and running into like meeting people who like didn't know what adoption was or like didn't know, didn't like really fully understand it. Um, and like I'd have to like explain to people. Now, granted, these were like you know my first and second grade peers, so maybe that's a little bit why. But like I I I I think it's way more open now. People know about adoption, right? Like like second graders nowadays, right? Like if you asked a second grader if they knew what adoption was, and like I bet I, they'd probably have a cursory idea of what it was, and you know. So I think, you know, I, I like where we're headed. I like that you know everything's become way more open, and that it isn't a taboo subject to talk about, and that it is something that you know I can feel like you know, is a proud part of my identity and things like that. Um, and so it's, it, it's exciting, you know, it's exciting to be kind of, you know, coming of age and kind of, you know, developing, you know, solidifying my identity as an adult. Um, 
in this day and age when people, everyone else is also trying to, you know, I guess, you know, experiencing this like, uh, um, oh, this openness of communication, right? And just being comfortable with, you know, being open with one another. I, I love to idealize all the various changes. I hold no presumption any of them are going to happen because the world is sad, but, uh, of course, of course, of course, you know, but, but man, it, it, cause it's one of those things where it's like, not only is it kind of in everyone's best interest to, to do certain things, certain ways. Um, it, it also is just better for people. Um, but unfortunately it takes effort and no one wants to do it. So, you know, I would love to I see think I, I agree with you. I, I think I think we'll get there. You know, I, I think it's it's going to be a while, you know, but I think the the what gives me hope, right, is like it's easy to get stuck in the now and just think about kind of like, you know, the really, you know, blinders on, like thinking about right here and now. And, and, and to say like, oh, well, we're not making any progress or like shit sucks right now or like things are the same as they were a year ago or five years ago, whatever. I think to really see the progress though, you've got to take that step, another step back and say like, well, how, how, how are we doing now compared to, you know, 30 years ago or 50 years ago or a generation ago or five generations ago, right? Uh, five generations ago. That's like, we're talking like, is it the 1700s? Five generations, right? It's five generations I think the standard de- definition of a generation is about 21 years. It'd be 105 years ago, which would be 1916. Okay. So five generations ago, 1960. So we're in the middle of World War One, then, right? I guess, you know, that's still kind of um, wasn't as far back as I wanted to go. But anyway, you get what I'm saying, right? The, I, the, the whole, whole idea of, you know, ho- World War One yet. I think we entered in 1917 and exited in 1919. We're, I think you're right. But we're World testing Josh's. Yes, yes. Uh, 1950. Yeah. I, th- I think we might have even entered later. I think we might have entered in 1918 because we, we were not involved. Ne- near the US to the was end. Not involved in World War One for very long. We we yeah. showed up we at like the end of a class project, the- got an A, and was like, "Yeah, we did this." You're welcome. And said we were there. We were. Our name is on the project. We were there. We did it. Yeah. Um. Yes, that is. I mean, kind. I mean, we did a. We didn't wait as long, but kind of a similar thing with World War Two. Um. Europe was in the middle of a, a, a whole debacle. Yeah, yeah, well, here, take some guns. Here, we'll help you, but, like, we're not coming over there. Um, you know, and it wasn't until 42, right, when they were 41 when they bombed Pearl Harbor. And mm-hmm. um, then we said, all right, I guess we'll go to war with the, with the Japanese. But even then, it was still another two years before we actually fucking uh, got involved over in uh, on, the west, on, the, uh, on the Western Front. Like, you know, we we uh, we didn't want to get involved. Um, but in retrospect, we were the heroes that came in and saved the day. If it wasn't for us. The whole world be speaking German right now. Uh, half German, half Italian and a sprinkling of Japanese. Yeah, because uh, I, I guess uh, those Italians. Yeah. Well, what is America but the land of swinging your dick around? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. All right. 
Well, on that Man. note, uh, any closing thoughts you got there, Josh? Any? Uh... I think calling America the land of swinging your dick around is my closing thought. I, I like it. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Um, oh, dude, I was gonna. I was gonna. I, I have it somewhere. I, I was gonna write down all the shit, all of our tags and stuff, but I don't have it in front of me anymore. So. Uh, I got you. Why don't you do it? Covered, buddy. Uh, uh, yeah. If you, uh, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at YCBS pod. And if you want to hit us via email, you can do so at YCBS pod at gmail.com. Um, you'll never find Matt on Twitter because I don't think it exists. Um, <laughs> but you can, uh, I guess you can find me cause I'm trying to, I don't really tweet much from the show Twitter. So I'm trying to now plug my personal Twitter so that there's something that people could interact with. Well, so you so can I, find me on Twitter at Joshua D. Tracy. It's just my name. Figure it out. Um, and uh, I, I don't forget if I said it or not, but if you want to follow or hit us up on email, you can just do it. YCBSpot at gmail.com. And I think that's all. I think that's all the stuff. Yeah, that's uh, I think that's all she wrote. I uh, I also have I do have a Twitter. Um, I don't know the password, though. I haven't logged into it in years, so there's no point in you guys following it. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. You'll 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 never find it. it it's uh, it's in the bowels of Twitter. But yeah, that that's it. So uh, Matt, this was good. Um, and yeah, uh, let us know what you think of this new format. We're uh, we're excited. Um, uh, hopefully, you are too. Um, watch us, watch you, watching each other. Yeah, we're all here now, friends all here um but yeah that's it so uh until next week y'all have a good one yeah.